Gum, heaven and earth adore Gum, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Gum, heaven and earth adore Gum, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, you guys can be seated. You know that by now. <laughs> Except Jonathan. Jonathan will make me say it. So, <laughs> But he's not stubborn or anything. All right. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that we have that we may gather together as your people to worship you, that you have given us a testimony and a witness to what is good and what is right, and what is required by you. And Lord, that when we have fallen, and when we have failed, that you have given your Son, that you have, that you have built up what we have torn down, that you have made right what we set wrong. Lord, strengthen us to continue to walk in the truth, to trust in you and not ourselves, leaning on your word and not our own. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for He is worthy to be praised. Celebrate the presence of the Lord, for He is worthy to be praised. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Yes, you can. All right, let's see. I ha I have stuff on the list. It's been a few months. I have to get used to having stuff on the list again. But a couple of things. We are going to um, have our regularly scheduled church council meeting next Sunday. There won't be much because I know we just had one last week to kind of get back on schedule. But want to make sure we can go over all the new financial information that we get updated so we can actually have a business meeting the following week. So we're trying to get back on schedule. With, with that, we are going to get Sunday school started back up. Next Yay. Sunday. Do what? Yay. Oh, I was going to say, huh? It's like, that was, that was, I don't know if that was the saddest, happy yay I've ever heard. Like, yay. <laughs> That's how I'm supposed to sound. Like, we're going to do Sunday school again. Yay. I got to teach. <laughs> so that'll be the plan next Sunday. We should have all three of our children's classes running. We'll probably only have the one adult class. I don't think we'll have the, the second one yet. So that may be some time yet, so we will get that figured out. But as of right now, Sunday school will start back up next Sunday. Uh, prayer reminders for the week. Jeff has surgery tomorrow, hopefully. <laughs> Depends on what the tests come back and, you know, whether the moon is in the proper alignment. If Mars is in ascension, then they can operate. You know, if the nurses wing the chicken counterclockwise, they can't do it. It's got to go clockwise. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, if they discover the Earth is not flat, right? Is that how that works? All right, kidding, kidding. Um, Mike is scheduled. I apologize for this. If you've never noticed, I point where you sit if you're not here. <laughs> or even if you are here. This is this is how I learn people's names and things if I don't know who you are. Is I remember, they got to tell me where you sit because let's just be honest. There is a place that you sit. You're, you're in a Baptist church. It's law. You come in, you're like, that's my spot. <laughs> Unless you're Jonathan, we moved it on you and then you can't help it. So yeah, I point that way because that's where Jan and Mike have been sitting, either right here or Jan over there. So uh, Mike is scheduled for his surgery the 14th. He went to the VA. They could have done it earlier by like two days. So instead of Monday, they could have done it on Friday, but they were going to make him redo all the blood work. <laughs> He's like, so I can redo all my blood work again by taking another trip up to Madison just to get my surgery done two days sooner or I can survive the weekend. So he's going to survive the next this week and next weekend and get his surgery done next week. Again, a six millimeter kidney stone. That's not going anywhere. That's a quarter inch stone. So they're going to blast it out and, you know, they're going to blast it to break it up and then try to remove it. And then hopefully gets back to normal because they um, they had to take him off. I think his blood blood thinner that he's taking, he's back on the shots, which is the third or fourth time in the last year. He's had to go back on those shots. So that man's been poked and prodded more in a lab rat at this point. So hopefully this will get something figured out for a little while. If you did not get the uh, update on the uh, pray.com, Sue Stivers did pass away uh, end of last week. Um, not No details yet. They, uh, I know there's a funeral home that Jerry has been in touch with. I don't know what they're going to do for Graveside. I think he said they have plots in Cherry Valley, and I have to double-check on that. But they do want to have a funeral that will be here, so if you want to be in attendance for that, I will give you information as soon as I get information. Sound good? 
So I'll let you know. And an extra thank you from both me and Jerry for everybody who did meals. That was greatly appreciated. Uh, made Jerry's life a lot easier the last couple of weeks while uh, while Sue was was winding down. So, all right, that's everything on my list. Go team. Did I forget anything? I, I see. I always check that the hand goes up because I forgot something. <laughs> yes. That's on this wall, right? So, oh, you can't miss it. If you go out and take a right or a left, it's on one of the uh, the bulletin sections. Yeah, just and, and if not, that's the other reason why we stuck our little kids area in the back here. So we we got a place that we can kind of corral them as much as possible. Again, if I can tolerate them making a little noise back there, so can you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's always been my standard. So we will go with that. So yeah, nursery list is updated. It is there. And we'll just kind of go from there. Um, I should have saved this one for Halloween, but I didn't. So, well, who died being eaten by dogs after being thrown out a window? Jezebel. See, I gave you the hint last week. Her name has never been a compliment. Like, no woman in human history has ever been called Jezebel, and that was a good thing. Yes, I'm afraid. Well, she was thrown out the window, which killed her, more than likely. And then there was no body to bury when they went back because the dogs had eaten her and carried the bones away. <laughs> now my daughter is worried. <laughs> so yes, now the better question is, why? <laughs> she was evil. That's, that's always a good, she was evil. Wasn't she a harlot? There you go. See, you get two you get two consistent comparisons in the in the Old Testament. You want to be compared to the one king. You, if you're going to be compared to a king, who do you want to be compared to in the Old Testament? Now, usually before day before that, it's I almost said it. No, you want to be you want to be compared to David. David is the king, the one that everybody else wants to be like when they grow up. The one you don't want to be like when you grow up is is Ahab. All your famous Bible stories that you know, murdering to get the vineyard. That's Ahab. The prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The king of that incident is Ahab. His wife Jezebel was, she was a peach, <laughs> to put it bluntly. I mean, she's not a, not a nice lady. You're talking about idolatry, murder, corruption of the highest order. The judgment from God was that there would not be any of his descendants, and that gets taken out with, uh, I should have read up on this again, I believe it's Jehu that handles that. None of the descendants would, would, would continue to occupy the throne, and that she would be dishonored in death. See, in Israel, even in that time, it's a, it's a great dishonor to not have a proper burial. So to have your body chucked out the window and have the dogs carry you off, that's not just icky. That's judgment. That's a symbol that, you know, God has put his foot down, and it was on you. <laughs> and that's never good. So... Always look for those little details when you're reading. The story is neat and all, but don't just see the story. See the underlying details, the fulfillments, and the promises that are going on with it. All right. Don't say this one out loud. This is an easy one. Who did God send to prepare the way for Jesus? Looking for New Testament answers, not the Old Testament answers, because we'll, we'll cover that next week. All right. Anything else I'm forgetting? Going once, 
going twice. I will stop talking so we can stand and sing. Me too. When upon life's billows you are tempest all, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count too many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burdened with the load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? And you will be blessings, every doubt will fly. And you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. When you look at others with their land and gold, think that Christ has promised you wealth untold. Count your many blessings, money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven or your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count too many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Okay, I, I got to tell you, I, I had a request to do this song, and I, I had to learn it. So this was for uh, Sam. They requested, they called me and requested this song, but they're not here. So you're probably going to have to hear it again coming up pretty soon. I hope it's 
工作规。The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have long and added strength. Your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened, for I have news for you. It is no secret what God can do. What is done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no. What God can do? There is no night in His life you'll never walk alone. Always feel at home. Ever you may roam, there is no power can conquer you while God is on your side. Take Him at His promise. Don't run away and hide. It is no secret what God can do. What is done for others, He'll do for you. And with arms wide open. It is no secret what God can do. It is no secret what God can do. Thank you.
Alrighty then, we are still marching through. We have just begun, so we'll be here for a while, and I'll just go ahead and warn you. Uh, we are not taking a break from Exodus until the end of October, so that should get us a good march of chapters into the book, and then we'll get a break around the end of October, and then around Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and then get to dive back into it at the beginning of the year again. Don't look so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it will be good for you. So let's see. We have uh, set our stage in this book, but only in the, the big picture. We're going to still kind of get down to the smaller picture as we work through this today. And what we're going to see is one of the things that I always caution people about in Scripture is not to assume that what is in Scripture is all of life. And what I mean by that is if you think through Abraham's life, you imagine all those times God spoke to him and then realize how many times they hopscotched 10, 15, 20 years in between appearances. They're just not that frequent. So throughout this book, and as we're looking through Exodus, we're dealing with Moses and we're dealing with Pharaoh and we're dealing with all the upper echelons of society. While there are millions of people still living day-to-day -day lives with the events that are going on. We're going to get a picture of that today, which kind of shows that God is not just working on the grand macro scale, but he is also working in the small micro scale as well. So with that, we have the oppression beginning in chapter one. We have the attempted infanticide of the Hebrew children at the end of chapter one. How long do you think that can go on before somebody maybe pushes back a little bit? I mean, if somebody, you know, government just decided tomorrow, hey, start chucking your kids in the river. <laughs> some people probably would do it, but how long would that go on until some people went, you know what? Might be time to do something a little bit different. And therefore, we commence all festival, as Jack Nicholas once said. And if you don't know that movie reference, gotcha. <laughs> and then the fun part is, well, not really as the whole thing goes along. So. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, yes, it's an odd stopping point simply because there's too much to get in the whole chapter and we got to cut it somewhere. So where we leave off this week is probably the exact spot we'll pick up next week. So, now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket, covered it, covered it over with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
Then he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other, and he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. All right. Rewind back to the beginning. Some fun details. We want to make sure we catch them all. A man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. All right. We haven't lost any time yet. We're going to. Sounds like, sounds like some Arkansas. <laughs> I was wondering if somebody was going to catch that. All right. One, the commandment hasn't been given yet, so we don't have to worry about this. This is one of those things that trips people up in Scripture. It's one of the, it's one of the questions you always get about Genesis. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, he married his sister. And the people are going, yeah. The command is not given until Leviticus. Why? Because by the time you get to Leviticus, humanity has a problem if you're marrying cousins and siblings and, and things like that. Beforehand, you got to remember, how were Adam and Eve created in the garden? Good. Perfect. So that doesn't just include moral behavior or moral disposition. That includes them. Remember, the creation was good. The creation falls into, with sin as well. Therefore, the creation is now trying to kill us. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Humanity was created good, so it doesn't matter how many children you have. They're not destroying your body. It does not matter whether or not you marry a sibling. The genetic material is so good and so pure, there's no corruption within it. Now, enter in sin, corruption begins to degrade everything. How you act, how you think, how you are even put together. Hence, as you follow through Genesis, you'll notice the ages that they live start to do what? And they decline pretty steadily. Why? They're now dying younger. Why? Genetic material is breaking down faster. Disease is killing people faster than it used to. They don't recover the same way. Eventually, you get enough genetic degradation that, you know, if we're too closely related to one another, my degradation and your degradation mix to become <laughs> this smorgasbord of weirdness that we don't want. So God gives the commandment when it is time so that we don't have to worry. So no worries there, but there's another question we should ask. A man from the house of Levi. Um, what's the house of Levi? This is where we rewind a little bit, Genesis chapter 49. This is one of the sons, one of the tribes. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. If you remember your Old Testament, you remember your Genesis, who's the firstborn son of Jacob? Secondary Bible trivia time. Who's the firstborn? We named a sandwich after him. <laughs> Reuben! You're going, oh yeah, we did name a sandwich after him, see? And it's a good sandwich, too. All right, Reuben does not receive the blessing. He is not the son whom we follow. Why? Because he slept with Jacob's concubine. Oops, but that's, that's not good. Not good. Actually, wouldn't it? we have a concubine wife, depending on how you read Genesis. We'll, we'll go with that. Simeon is next. Simeon and Levi are sons two and three. Do you remember the, uh, the rape incident? Their sister Dinah is raped by Shechem. 
they take vengeance by invoking the covenant. So they tell Shechem, you can marry her if you and all your men are circumcised. Because circumcision is easy on a baby. If you're an adult, it's a mess. And it's painful. And it's hard. You, you don't walk. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't do anything. So all the men of the village were circumcised in order to join in as covenant people with the family. And on the third day, you ever had surgery or an injury? When's, when's the worst? Like the day you go home, you're all right. Yeah. A couple days later, they ride through and slaughter everybody. Aren't they peaches of guys? Yeah. So this is the problem. This is why the promise of the son that we watch comes through Judah. So as part of their judgment in the, the uh, dispensation of blessings and curses by Jacob to his sons in Genesis 49, there's a warning that Simeon and Levi will be scattered. And they will be scattered. Simeon for judgment, Levi, believe it or not, for redemption. Simeon is scattered amongst the peoples as the uh, lands are allotted and as the tribes are lost, Simeon's tribe is lost. The Levites are scattered. They get no inheritance in the land because their inheritance is the Lord. They are the priests, the keepers of the tabernacle, the keepers of the temple. When the northern tribes are lost, the Levites are not lost because they are not just in the north, but they are also in the south, in Judah, which is spared at that time. So you have one scattered for judgment, one scattered for redemption. And that redemption for Levi starts right here with a birth, chapter, uh, verse 2. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. All right. Remember what we're doing here in Exodus. We want to see what's going on here, but we don't want to miss what? We don't want to miss the big arc. So if I told you, hey, there's been a son to be born, what's your first thought? You should be thinking backwards to what? Make sure you don't lose sight of this. Let's rewind all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is what we call Matt's favorite doctrine that he likes to remember, the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. The curse and warning to the serpent that there is coming from the woman a son who will crush you and your offspring. This is a promise of redemption in the Messiah given right there at the genesis of sin. This is why in chapter 1 we made a big deal that Pharaoh commanded all his people saying what? Every child born should be thrown into the river? No, it was every what? Every son who is born should be cast into the river and the daughter you keep alive. Remember, we've got two fights going on. We've got the fight of Exodus, which looks like Pharaoh and the Israelites, the Egyptians and the Israelites. This is just bottom level. That's showing you what else. The grand scheme, the big fight, the fight against sin, God redeeming and rescuing his people. Because here's a good question. Where did Pharaoh get the idea? I mean, was Pharaoh just sitting there having brunch one morning going, we'll throw the kids in the river. That's that. Why didn't I think of that sooner? I can tell you why I didn't think of that sooner. Satan didn't whisper in his ear sooner. See, I'm not important enough for Satan to mess with me. That's why I don't care what he's doing most of the time, because I'm not that big of a deal. But if I were a president of a nation, if I were a governor of a state, do you think I might warrant some, some demonic activity? You're Pharaoh in charge of a land where God's people have been sent into captivity. You think you might be war warranting some, some demonic activity? Yes. This is the big picture fight. We, we don't want to forget this. Exodus is clear. It is showing you this. It is making a point to show you that there is not just people at work. There are spiritual forces at work. God is redeeming and demonstrating his power throughout this book. Because do not fall into that trap. 
does Satan stand toe-to-toe in a boxing match with God? No. That's, that's what we call dualism. If you want to understand dualism, watch Star Wars. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. If you want to understand dualistic philosophy, watch Star Wars. You have the good side of the force, and you have the bad side of the force. And they have equal power, and they're jockeying for position. That's not God. God is the almighty, maker of heaven and earth, ruler of creation. All things that are have flown from him. Therefore, he is above all. So when evil rears its head, it is not an equal power. It's just not been smacked like a bad whack-a-mole yet. You know, It's coming, it just hasn't happened yet. So you see that even here. Verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it Oh, I'm sorry, and covered it over with tar and pitch. This is where the NASB is really annoying because it translates really in a bad syntax because it's translating Hebrew, which doesn't have an English syntax. But anyway, so she gets him a little wicker basket and covers it with tar and pitch. I'm saying that very slowly. Have you heard that language before in your Bible before you get to Exodus chapter 2? What else was covered in tar and pitch? Noah's Ark. Can I mention a little secret? Um... Wicker basket is not the Hebrew word for wicker basket. It's the same word for ark. She gets him a little ark, and she covers it with tar and pitch. Remember, go backwards, Genesis 6. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make make the ark with rooms. You shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Fast forward a chapter to chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, this is why we don't think this is a fairy tale. You don't put details like that in fairy tale, by the way. On the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, the floodgates of the sky were open, the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, when I say the fountains of the great deep burst open, what am I describing? Yeah, we have underground water, and how do you get it all to the surface? geysers, volcanic activity. Does the water just like seep up through the ground? What happens to the ground when the water rushes up? It rips open. You're you're talking about a cataclysmic event when you talk about Noah's flood. You're talking about volcanic activity, earthquakes, geysers, you name it. The earth is literally being, it's like somebody picked it up like a snow globe and went and then put it back. It's a nightmare. Now, you get to survive on a wooden boat you made from hand. You like your odds? (laughs) I don't either, to be perfectly honest with you. Even if I built the thing and I'm going, looks solid. You do what every guy does. You know, you you put the nails in and you you, you kind of pull on the board. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. It it, It is divinely inspired, but I still don't like the plan. Why does the ark work? Humanly speaking, this is a terrible idea. Who keeps that thing from tilting over? Who keeps that thing from getting washed over? God does. This is God's plan. He preserves it. He perseveres. Now, why did we build an ark? Well, he said so, but if you don't build the ark, what happens? You die. The ark becomes your one way of salvation. This is why Second Peter tells you that the ark is pointing not to Noah's salvation, but to everyone's salvation, because the ark is pointing to Christ. Conversely, we know, fast forward here, who's in the ark. This little ark, I mean. We know that he is going to be the human deliverer of Israel. 
Is it any coincidence that God reminds you of that by hearkening back to God's working and God's redemption of humanity in the work of Noah? There's a reason why these things are put together. The other reason I say that, is this a good plan? I mean, is this really a good plan? I need to hide my kid. I got it. I'm going to put him in a basket. I'm going to set him in the river. Like, do you know what lives in that river? <laughs> I mean, at the, now they're not so far north, but at, at this time in history, Nile crocodiles are as far north as the Mediterranean Sea. Those suckers are 18 feet long. You would fight them. You would lose. Not just Nile crocs, hippos. I mean, have you ever met a nice hippo in the water? They're not friendly creatures. I don't want to meet a hippo. Their head's like this big. And, and guess where they like to hang out? In the marshy shallows. Where did she put him? <laughs> By the banks of the reeds. Mm. You know what else lives there? Monitor lizards. Those suckers are four feet long, and they got jaws. that. Yeah, if you don't know what a monitor lizard is, go look it up. They're, they're funky looking. And yeah, they're, they're mean little buggers, and they have bite force like crazy. This is a terrible idea. Absolutely terrible. She put him in it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile, and his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. That's the type of woman who watches horror films right there. Now, I, I will be honest. There are options here. And the reason I say that is because I read a couple of them. I read two different um, commentators on this passage, and they each had a different theory on what was going on here. The first was that this was a a hiding place that she thought by putting him in the basket and setting him by the reeds that she could conceal him and no one would find him and she would be able to go back and care for the baby off and on. That's why the sister is keeping watch. I think we've already covered one that's a terrible idea. Two, where are you supposed to be throwing the male children? In the river, which means where are the soldiers watching? This is like hiding yourself at the base of the prison fence after you broke out. Like, they won't look for me right here. They're not going to notice you when they look over. Hey, there he is. <laughs> I think this is a terrible idea, so I'm rejecting that one. Sorry. Um, the other idea is that the baby was placed because Pharaoh was there and she would find him. What's the law? Kill the male children. Who made the law? Pharaoh. Do you think his daughter, like, if you, you've, have you met his, his daughter if you're one of the Hebrew villagers? More, more than likely not. So do you think the daughter is with dad or against dad? She's probably with dad. So is it a good idea to let's hide the kid where the Pharaoh's daughter might see? Because Pharaoh's daughters never come with guards <laughs> who are supposed to be enforcing what law? <laughs> That's just a dumb idea. I, I'm going for uh, door number three, Monty, and I think this is easy. I think this is just trying to postpone the inevitable and not have to do it yourself. I think this is a way of putting the kid in the little boat and sending him off and setting him by the reeds because I'm not going to watch what's going to happen. And the other reason I think that is because I think this also harkens you back to Genesis. And remember, we're building. Don't fall into that we have Genesis and then we have Exodus and then we get Leviticus. We have a continuous story working together with God at the helm. So Genesis chapter 21, um, Ishmael, and the name just went right out of my head. Right out of my head. Oh my goodness. Hagar. Woo, luckily it's written down somewhere. Oh, remember Ishmael and Hagar. Ishmael is technically Abraham's firstborn because Sarah can't have any children. Here, sleep with Hagar. And then we'll claim this one. Yeah, bad idea. Then when your wife brings you a woman and says, here, sleep with her. This is a test. 
Do not fail. Run screaming from the room. It is the only way you will ever pass. Okay? All right. When the water in the skin was used up, this is when she has been, she, she has run off. She left the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down opposite of him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. See, that's where I think part of your parallel comes in. I think that's what mom is doing. I'm not watching this. I'm not doing it, but I'm not going to watch somebody else do it either. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. See, she names the well after a God who sees, because he does not miss anything. I think part of the reason that you've got this part here is to hearken back, to be a reminder. Where is Israel? They're in Egypt. Are they in their land? Are they where their God is supposed to be ruling and reigning? No. So if you follow the customs of the day, does God see them? No, not really. What's being taught? Not only does God see, God knows, and God is at work. How do I know? Because we have the ark. We can see back. What did God do? God saw Noah. God knew Noah. God remembered Noah. God redeemed Noah and rescued him. You're going to have the same thing going on here. So, the sister's watching. Verse 5. Okay, get your rapid fire here. We're going to move, make some progress. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to the bay to bathe at the Nile, with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid. She brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. Duh. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, first thought. Three cheers for a human with a soul, right? She has pity on a crying baby. Don't do that. Don't do that. Who's the hero of the story? Who gave her pity? Remember the Egyptian world we talked about last week. How could Pharaoh for not how could Pharaoh not know Joseph? They don't eat with him. They don't hang out with him. They don't live with him. This is this is racism, actual racism of the highest order. They don't like these people. They don't want to deal with these people. They don't want to talk to these people. They don't want to look at these people. She's going to look at this baby and go, oh, look, he's cute. Her normal reaction would be, that's despicable. Who changed that? God did. Who adjusts her heart? Who changes her thinking? Who is the one who brings peace and righteousness and blessing? It's not us. It's God. New Testament builds on this concept. Matthew chapter 5. Why should you uh, bless your enemies instead of cursing them? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We have a, theolog a theological concept. We call this common grace. Um, you can think about it from this perspective. A rising tide raises how many boats? All of them. It's not like the sun came up and only God's people got to see the heat. Only God's people got the brightness for their crops. Only God's people got to enjoy the sunrise. Who did the sunrise for? Everyone. When it sets in the evening and the cool air comes in and it's a blessing because it's been so hot all day. Who is that a blessing to? Some of God's people? No. All of the people. This is why for years churches sang what we call the doxology. What's your reminder? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, 
all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then he gets finished. Amen. Why? There's common grace in song form. Who should be praising God? Everyone. Why? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. All of them. Pharaoh's daughter is not the hero of this. God is. He's the one who moved her. He's the one who changed her. He's the one who set her in the spot. He's the one that made sure the baby was in the right spot at the right time. So then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, so she pops up from the bushes, you know, nobody went, ah! Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Hmm, I wonder who she could find. Like, I wonder if there's anybody she could go get for that. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The result of all of God's working is Jochebed, which is Moses' mother's name, gets the best maternity plan this world could ever offer. She's gone from hiding her child to not having to worry about her child for doing what she was going to do anyway, but now she's getting paid for it. This is a sweet deal. This is a very sweet deal. Why? Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now realize that's an argument from the greater to the lesser here. In this ancient world, when that proverb would have been written, when this incident would have been going on, who did the king represent? Whose representative on the earth was he? He's supposed to be God's. Regardless of whatever the pagan system was, they thought that the, the, the king was a representative of God. What Proverbs is reminding you is that it's not just that, the, that God can turn the heart of a king. He can turn the heart of a king. If he can turn that heart with that much power and that much authority, guess what he can do to everybody else's heart? He can turn that one too. This is the praise that you get from this. This is the working behind the scenes that we don't see always if we just read this through for the sake of the story. This is God redeeming, partially, I don't know if she makes it or not, I'm not going to make that argument, but setting along a path so that this child would be rescued. Verse 10, the child grew. All right, time out. We just jumped two, maybe three years, depending on the situation, depending on who you ask. Um, not a whole lot has changed in two to three years. We'll see that shortly. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. This is cool. Because when we want to talk about allusions to biblical doctrine, Exodus 2.10 is as big as it gets. What legal term would you apply to this? This is adoption. Moses was part of this family. Now he is part of this family. Now, when he was part of his own family, what was his fate? Death. He was going to die. Now what is it? Life. What was his station in society as one of the Hebrew children? He's a slave. Now what is he? He's a prince. As, as the great theologian Lone Star once said, I'm a prince. I'm a bona fide prince. And if you don't get that movie reference, you're a better human being than I am. So God bless you. He has been moved from slavery to an heir. He has been moved from death to life. 
Am I describing anything that you would see anywhere else in Scripture? Hmm, I don't know, maybe something like Ephesians 1. He has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, the beloved. Colossians 2, maybe. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Romans 8. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The deliverer is delivered. The redeemer is now redeemed. Why? What is God showing you? He is showing you the process by which his people will be his people. What's the great need of the Israelites in Egypt in Exodus chapter 2? What's their biggest problem? Because if you get caught up in the narrative of the book of Exodus, you'd say their biggest problem is that they're slaves. They're in Egypt. They're separated from the promised land, having to do this hard labor, being killed day by day. That is not their biggest problem. Their biggest problem is that they are born, raised, living, and walking in sin as every human being has done since Genesis chapter 3. They need redemption, not from Egypt. While that would be awesome, they don't need a redemption from Egypt. They need a redemption from the decree of death that comes from God in judgment to sin. They need to be adopted away from being part of the family of this world and into the family of God. They need to be moved not from death in Egypt, but to life in the Messiah who is to come, the one who is promised and not yet here. That's what they need. That's what every human being has needed in this book from yeah to, hang on, let me make sure I get the right spot, to yeah, (laughs) and then continuing on forward. That's the need. That's the work. That's the grand story of Scripture. This is not about slavery in an earthly sense. This is about slavery in a cosmic sense, slavery to sin. Death is separation from God in his mercy and his grace. So she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. Um, there's actually a fun little play on words. If you go read ancient, um, well, you don't have to read ancient Egypt, but if you go read history on Egyptian pharaohs and things, you'll see a lot of Mos. There's Atmos and Thutmos, the, the pharaohs. That's, that's what she named him. It literally means son of, and then they put the deity that he's supposed to be the son of there. So she literally just named this kid son. <laughs> Which shows you, again, kind of the fun working, because what she may mean as maybe a derogatory name or maybe just a simple name literally means in Hebrew, the the Moshe, to unbaptize, to pull something from the water, to clear it out. Even God is at work, not just in the action, but in the simple things as the names. So, verse 11. Now, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up. Here's your big jump. We just zoomed 40 years. 40 years straight away, no commentary on anything that has happened. The reason I say that, Acts 7, verse 23, this is a Stephen's speech before they killed him. When he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. 
So Moses has been doing what for almost four decades? I don't know. Being educated, having a military career, I don't know, living a life of luxury. I have no earthly idea. Uh, there's some history that says he actually did lead some military campaigns for the for Pharaoh. Take it, leave it. If you watch the Charlton Heston version, they actually they, they buy that in and they show it, which I guess that's the approved version. You got you to gotta go with Charlton Heston as he comes down and throws the tablets at somebody. So you can go with that. Again, this is a good lesson. Can we be dogmatic about what happened in those four decades? No, because the text doesn't say. And what was the thing I warned you about last week? If the text doesn't say, be careful. Don't be, that's what it is, when the text doesn't say, that's what it is. So he's now grown up. He went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Is that bad? Now, the Hebrew is described here. It's not just, you know, like he smacked him a little bit. This is talking about, like, you know, you're getting the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Here we go again, and we've got it going. Exodus chapter 1 again. This is a reminder that nothing has changed. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and in all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them catch that. If a labor is imposed on you, do you get to opt out? No. And when you try to opt out, what happens? Yeah, you get the back of my hand, right? There you go. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Same word that the Hebrew, the, the Egyptian was beating the Hebrew. Moses was then beating the Egyptian. Same, same description. So Moses gave him a little letter. So here you go. Viva la revolution. Here it is, right? It's time to overthrow the Egyptians. The first blow has been struck. Lexington and Concord has occurred. Here we go. Why do I say that? Acts 7.24. When he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Ooh, that just, that just sounds good, doesn't it? He's here. Believe it or not, this is actually some good news. This is a good lesson. What's the proper role of a governing authority in your life? What does it look like when the governing authority rules well and displays that? Romans chapter 13. We read it last week. We'll read it again this week. Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it, talking about ruling authorities, is a minister of God to you for good. If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. See, this is risk-taking. This is bringing justice, freeing the oppressed, uplifting the downtrodden, stopping unrighteousness, combating evil. This is good. Matthew 20. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first shall you shall be, shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Moses has stepped into this grand tradition, this great biblical teaching. It's time to cast down these abusers and do what is right. Now, what's the old axiom? What does every good deed get? Or what does no good deed go? Unpunished, Acts 7.25. 
he was supposed, as he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Oops. He went out the next day, and behold, oh, what's our rule? Remember, the, remember our rule. Anytime, that's why I always say it like that. Anytime you see behold, something important is coming. Two Hebrews were fighting with each other. They weren't fighting. Same description of the Egyptian to the Hebrew was the same description of Moses to the Egyptian is the same description of this Hebrew to his buddy. This isn't a fair fight. This is one of them getting the... And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Now, stop real quick. This is a good question. The reason it's a good question is because it has an answer. It actually does have an answer. I warned you, I don't know if it was last week or Father's Day, don't fall into the trap and the lie of the world, which we have all believed at some point or another, that you know, when your kids or your friends or your nephews or your grandkids do something wrong and you stop and go, you know, I did the same thing when I was their age, so I really can't say anything. Are you the authority in their life? Then you can say something. Was it wrong when you did it? Yes. Is it wrong when they do it? Yes. Do something about it. Thus endeth the lecture. So who did? Who made you a prince or a judge? See, there's, there's a rhetorical aspect to that. Like, who do you think you are? Daniel chapter 2. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belongs to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Who preserved Mo, no, uh, Moses in that little ark? God did. Who made sure Pharaoh's daughter was bathing at the edge of the river where he was hiding in the reeds? God did. Who made sure she saw him? God did. Who made sure she had compassion on him? God did. Who made sure that there would be someone to care for him? God did. Who made sure Moses grew up? I mean, let, think about this world. In, in, this, in this time, you're talking um, 1530s B.C.? Infant mortality is huge. You could do everything right, and kids just die. Children just die. You go swimming in the river, and one of the alligators or crocodiles gets you, and you or you get some weird disease. I mean, there, there's no inoculations. There's no antibiotics. There won't be antibiotics in the world for another 20, let me do my math real quick, 2,300 years. <laughs> They won't have antibiotics to treat illness. You scrape your ankle on a rock by the river and some weird bacteria gets in it, and you can die from it. People died all the time. Contrary to what the news tells you today, people have been dying for as long as there have been people. Just seems like nobody died before March, but people have been dying for a really long time, and I won't say that again today. <laughs> so who's the one who preserves Moses to this point? God is. Who made him a prince? Like, he's... Who made you a prince or a judge? Well, now that you mention it, God did. So to reject the work that Moses has done on their behalf, is that a rejection of Moses? No, it isn't. It's ultimately a rejection of the God who has done all of these things for Moses. So the next question, are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. 
And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now, who just forgot everything I just said and turned into a Monty Python movie? Run away! Moses did. Moses did. I want to fast forward a little bit. Matthew 17. He was transfigured before them. This is talking about Jesus. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. The veil has been lifted. You're seeing the second member of the Trinity, God the Son in all of his glory. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. You ever wonder why Moses and Elijah? Moses is the representative of the law, the the deliverer of that period. Elijah is the representative of the prophets, the mouthpiece of God. Also, in a way, a deliverer of his period. What do these two deliverers have in common, Moses and Elijah? Guess what they both did? 1 Kings 19. Who knows what happened in 1 Kings 18? Real quick, anybody? Prophets of Baal, Mount Carmel. What happens? The sacrifice, it doesn't burn up. They dance around in circles. The prophets of Baal stab themselves. They let the blood out. The, the, the fire never comes. The sacrifice never burns. So what does Elijah do? He pours water on top of water on top of his, on top of his sacrifice, prays to God, and what happens? Fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice. What do they do to the prophets of Baal? They kill them. They go through and slaughter them. Why? Because they've been proven to be false prophets. Yahweh is God. You should serve him. Elijah has just done all of this. Elijah was so confident on Mount Carmel that he was actually making fun of the prophets of Baal all morning. It's it's actually in there. I mean, he literally says to them, perhaps he's busy. Perhaps he's in the bathroom. Shout louder. He can't hear you. It's literally what Elijah tells them. You know, he can't hear you. He's, He's busy. He's so confident, so brash and arrogant that he's mocking them. Now, that's over. Fast forward one chapter. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, if you're Elijah, what should you be thinking? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Because I just prayed and what came down out of heaven? Yeah, fire. Fire. Yeah, that's what you should be waiting on. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow this time. What gods? We just spent a whole chapter proving that there aren't other gods. So Elijah should read that letter and go, Whatever, lady. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah's answer was to do what? Run away! The two deliverers of the Old Testament of Israel, what do they have in common? When confronted with their work of delivering the people, they run. This is why they are types of the deliverer, and they are not the deliverer. Revelation chapter 7. One of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
For this reason they are before the throne of God. They may serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Catch the imagery there. When Jesus was teaching the people about being a shepherd, how do you know the difference between the shepherd and the hired hand? What's the hired hand do when the trouble comes? It's not my problem. I'm not getting eaten by a wolf for your sheep. That's a you problem, dude. What does a shepherd do? He stays. They are his sheep. I got bad news for you. Elijah and Moses, guess what they are? They're hired hands. They're not the shepherd. They work for him. They've been commissioned by him. They do great work on his behalf. But when it really comes down to it, I'm just going to keep doing that because it's fun. I need to stretch more. (laughs) Why? Because, again, this is a type. Do I put my trust in Moses? No, Moses can't save me. Here's how I know Moses can't save me. Where is he? He's dead. They put him up on the mountain and buried him, and we don't even know where. Where's Elijah? He's taken up into heaven. He's gone. They killed Jesus. They stuck him in a tomb. What did he do? Hi. What separates them? One is a picture of the deliverer. One is the deliverer. Keep in mind, this is also why you see the work that you see in the earthly ministry of Jesus. When was Jesus' opportunity to run away? They were legion, really. You can go to temptation, uh, Matthew and Luke 4. He doesn't fall away. He does what? He stands firm. Fast forward to the end of the gospel. What have you got? The day before, where are we? We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. What is Jesus saying? If there is another way, let's go that way. If there's not, I'm in. He stands firm. The crowds come, the pitchforks and the torches and the whole nine yards. And what does he do? Hi, right here. Who are you looking for? Jesus. Hi. That's me. Let's go. Why? Where others have run, where the help has deserted, he has stood firm. Where the pictures have fallen, the one has stood. That's why when you get to Revelation, what are his people that are empowered by his spirit doing? How did they get there? Did you catch that? Read it again real fast. these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They've come out of the tribulation. They've been killed for the name. They've persevered. They have fought the good fight. They have kept the face. They have completed their race. This rewinds to what we read earlier about our adoption. What did Paul warn you? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We stood firm. Why? Because we're his. We're there. We are inheritors of the promise. We are focusing on that goal. Therefore, what shakes in this world? Nothing. What can they take from us? Nothing. Why? Because the deliverer has redeemed. The deliverer 
has worked. He has accomplished. He has given his spirit. He has empowered his people to do his work in his kingdom. This is the reminder. You see this throughout the Old Testament. Excuse me. Over a dozen times, Isaiah refers to God as the redeemer of Israel. Ezekiel uses the same language. Jeremiah uses the same language. Moses isn't their redeemer. God is. Moses isn't the one who's going to get credit. God is. Exodus is going to happen. Not because Moses is standing there killing Egyptians and burying them in the sand. How many Egyptians can he kill? I don't know. He might be able to kill a whole bunch of them. He might run out of sand to put them in for all I know. Excuse me. Is it going to happen because Moses is going to use his influence as the prince of Egypt, and he's going to wiggle his way into his court, and he's going to Schindler's list this puppy and start exporting Israelites out of the land, you know, killing the guards that find out about his scheme and slowly relocating them? Is that, is that how God is going to redeem his people? No! Is Moses going to go in there and say, hey, I got a plan, this is what we're going to do? No. Is Moses going to stand before Pharaoh and say, you need to listen to me? No. Why will this work? Because God is behind it. And if God is not behind it, what will it look like? (laughs) It'll look like this, running away. This is the way redemption has always been in Scripture. It has always been the work of God for his glory on behalf of his people. This is why Paul in Romans 1 can tell you that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. See, what does Moses want? I really don't know. I think he wants to take advantage of his position and his authority to help his people. Does that matter? No. What do the Israelites need? Do they need a prince and somebody in high office, or do they need a God on high who can redeem and rescue them? Exactly. And God does not give us what we want. He gives us what we need. Now, here's the really fun part. Does he give it to me when I want it? (laughs) No, never. Not even one time. (laughs) He gives it to me when it's right and when it is needed. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. It's Galatians 4. In the fullness of time, God will raise up a deliverer to bring his people out of their bondage in Egypt so he can send them to a land so that he can show them his great power and his great mercy. But it's not time yet. One of the, uh, one of the ways to think about the uh, plagues of Exodus, and we're going to cover them all, so don't worry, is that it's not just God taking Israel out of Egypt. It's God taking Egypt out of Israel. The world systems, the way of thought. Well, in order to get Moses to do the work of God, guess what we got to get out of Moses? we got to get Egypt out of Moses. And if you've lived 40 years of a pretty privileged lifestyle in a place, how, uh, how much cultural assimilation do you think you've had? Yeah. What's the best way to get that culture out of you? Get you out of that culture. So God will use Moses' zeal, his bravado, his anger, and God will get him out. And if you want some homework for the week, 
Notice where he sat down. And then rewind and tell me where you might have heard or seen some of that language before, because that's where we'll pick up next week. But remember, we haven't made clear yet, and we're going to keep making this clear as we go through this. Who is the star here? It's God. Who is the one who is redeeming Moses? It's God. Who's the one that is moving in the daughter of Pharaoh? It's God. This is going to become important because when we get Moses coming back to Egypt, who is also the one who's going to demonstrate his power to Pharaoh? It's God. And that means he's also going to move in Pharaoh, not just for good, but for ill as well, to make this as bad as possible so that God's glory will shine as brightly as possible. This is a story, just like every other story of humanity, of God's working both on the good and for, for, for redemption, like we saw with Levi, or working in judgment, like you see with the tribe of Simeon as Israel's history goes through. The goal of us as God's people is to recognize that we stand in Christ, not because of our great work, but because of his great work, because the great shepherd didn't run away and hide, but he stood firm. He took the penalty for our sin, and then he has gifted us his spirit, his redemption, his grace, his mercy, his wisdom, his mind. All of these things are ours in Christ, if we will but apply them in this world. If we don't, Shame should be upon us. We have followed the wrong deliverer. We have followed the one who has run away and hid. We want to follow the one who stood because that's our call. The world is not a nice place, and I got bad news. I don't think it's going to get nicer. Don't think it's moving in that direction, which means we're going to get the same call that Joshua gave to his people. Choose for yourself this day. Who will you serve? Because there's a whole world out there with a whole bunch of gods. And they're going to shove every single one of them down your throat. And unless you have determined in your heart that I will stand firm in Christ, walk and trust him only, not leaning on myself, but leaning in him, we will fall. And we will demonstrate that he has not redeemed us. But if we are his people, walking in his word, trusting in his salvation, we will stand firm. I don't know how, but we will find a way because God will grant a way. Our call is to trust to prepare, to comfort and encourage one another so that as we walk down that road, we are prepared for whatever may come. Because who knows what it looks like and who knows when it will be here. But by God's grace, we can stand against it. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you that we can gather together as your people, that we can worship your greatness and your great work, that you have left us a testimony to who you are and all that you have done. Lord, you are the Redeemer. You are the one who stands firm, the one who is not shaken, the one who has provided. Lord, strengthen us that we would be one in spirit and one in your spirit, that we too would stand firm in this world, not afraid of what may befall, but encouraged by what we know is to come in your kingdom. That we would be renewed in heart and mind to disciple, to learn, to be built up and to build up others worshiping and serving in your kingdom until the day that it dawns, knowing that it is your great throne that will never be torn down. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his son give thanks
with a grateful heart give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say, I am strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks. Because he's given Jesus Christ his son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given. Jesus Christ, his son, and now let the weak say, I am strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done. For us. And now let the weak say, I am strong, and let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. couple quick reminders. Uh, remember Jeff and Mike and Sue, uh, Sue's family in your prayers this week. Um, if you want to check nursery lists, it's out there. Church council next Sunday, business meeting after that. And no, we didn't forget it was the first Sunday. We're planning on doing communion next week. We figured we'd catch it on the non-holiday weekend. So uh, remember all those things. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave here, by the grace of your spirit, let us know and be studied in your word, that we would apply it, that we would walk rightly testifying to your greatness and your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.